Let's face it, Brit happens. Success is rarely a straight line. It's a journey with many twists, turns, potholes, and unwelcome detours. The secret, however, lies in how we react. Keep listening to learn how to effectively respond to life's curveballs, improve your resilience, and how winners pivot from setbacks to success. I'm your host, Brittany Sharpton. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back. I am so excited about this upcoming series, Ballot Box with Brit. 2020 is a major year, not only on the national level, but statewide and here locally. August 18th, primary election day is right around the corner. We have a civic responsibility to consider our options and make informed decisions when electing our public officials. I believe that being an educated voter is just as important as voting itself. I'm kicking off this series with Miami-Dade County mayoral candidates. What are their thoughts and goals and vision for our future, for our families? Let's find out. Today's guest is Miami-Dade County Commissioner, Daniela Levine-Cava. Welcome, Commissioner. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you so very much, Brittany, for having me on your show. I cannot believe we are literally less than 70 days out from Election Day. <laughs> that would be you and me both. <laughs> Absolutely. And you look amazing, like you're not stressed out at all. <laughs> so I know you've been incredibly busy, and I wanted to congratulate you. I saw that in May alone, you guys raised $600,000 and surpassed the $3 million mark, which is incredible in its own right. I think if we were having this conversation even just six months ago, I would never in a million years think that this would be virtually all virtual, no pun. Right. Who knew? This was definitely not in the cards. And nor did we know that we were going to have a resurgence of our civil rights movement in this country. Uh, hallelujah. <laughs> long, long overdue. I know unprecedented has been like the most popular word of 2020. Right, exactly. Yes, trendy. But it's incredibly fitting. Not only did we have COVID-19, we had, like you mentioned, the, the events that have led to national and local protests. We have hurricane season upon us here in South Florida. But how are you pivoting and navigating in today's unprecedented environment? Yeah, thank you, Brittany. First of all, I love this community. I have served in this community for 40 years. And my time here has been as a community activist. I've only been in office for six years. So really, I'm the newest uh, politician in, on the block. And uh, I come as a politician with the heart of service. And I'm always thinking about what it's like on the other side of the dais. So um, I, I believe that good government comes when people are actively engaged. And I've done everything I could as a commissioner to inspire people to step up and be engaged. And actually, in the virtual world, people are more engaged. They, they have a little more, many people have more time and flexibility. Uh, it's easier if you have access to the internet to participate from the comfort of your home or wherever you're working. Uh, and it's been really uh, inspiring to see that people are so motivated to get involved because of what's happening in society. So, you know, it's really like my secret sauce that it's the time when people are uh, motivated and I am just uh, tapping into that energy. 
You recently tweeted, what happens next out of this moment is all up to us. We need real reforms, greater accountability between the community and police, and a shared commitment to tackling racial injustice wherever we find it. What are your thoughts in terms of how we can move our community forward? You know, the pain is uh, so uh, universal. Uh, you know, obviously there are people who are defensive uh, about it and not yet seeing that things are really changing. You know, um, out of every crisis comes opportunity and we cannot let this crisis go. Um, for people who live this kind of racial bias, this kind of persecution, uh, it's nothing new. It's been generations. Uh, but for others who've been able to turn their back to it, it's just not present in their lives, this is the moment in which a new uh, consciousness has emerged. And you know, when that happens, it's impossible to go back. So people are still marching, people are still demanding. Uh, it's, it's, a, it, it's like they are awoke. And uh, I think the fact that you see people from every walk of life uh, participating, young and old, all races, um, all backgrounds, all uh, classes. Uh, it's a universal that is, has finally you know, hit us in the face, uh, that this is not the country we want, a country that allows this kind of degradation, this kind of murder to go unchecked. So, uh, you know, my colleagues are busy uh, trying to pass legislation and, um, you know, we're all trying to find answers, how to, how to turn this around in a systemic way. You know, it's not something that we just want this particular Minneapolis officer or somebody else who, uh, you know, commits these unspeakable acts. We actually want to change the conditions so that these things cannot happen again. Uh, and that they will never go unchecked. There are a couple of memes and quotes circulating online, essentially saying, I don't want to go back to normal. Right. Normal wasn't working. Yes. And I admit in the beginning of this pandemic, I was so anxious to return back to my normal schedule, what felt comfortable for me. But there are actually yeah. a lot of silver linings in light of COVID-19. And as you mentioned earlier, people are far more engaged, people are paying more attention, and light is being shed on issues that previously kind of were swept under the rug. There were so many other distractions. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely think that's true. I mean, also back to campaigning in this era, uh, you know, more people are home, they're reading their mail. So, you know, my mailers will be more noticed. Uh, they're, they're more active online, you know, people are spending more time on their devices and um, people are paying more attention. I think just in general, people are paying more attention. So, um, uh, you know, as you say, those are the, some of the silver linings and there's other silver linings uh, too. You know, we appreciate our friends and our family more when we can't be with them, right? We yearn for them. Right. Uh, we recognize that we're really social creatures and that this social distancing is really not natural for us. Um, and, uh, and we also know that people are suffering psychologically. We know that many people are more alone uh, than before. And, uh, and of course, economically, all the people who are, are struggling because they've lost jobs, 
uh, you know, as many as maybe 20%, uh, and then waiting and waiting for checks to come that never come and bills that they can't pay and food they can't put on the table. It's, it's horrifying. It's really a, a shameful time. So in the midst of this public health and economic disaster and humanitarian disaster is what I also call it, now comes this uh, in-your-face, uh, unimaginable, uh, wanton act captured on video for the whole world to see and the perpetrators not mindful that there's anything to hide. It, it just, it, it, it's so, uh, such a clash for, for us people of, of conscience that we can't ignore it. We can't, uh, 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 so I think change has happened. We've had cities and counties uh, getting rid of abolishing chokeholds and strangleholds. It's happened, you know, in two weeks. It's astonishing, an astonishing rate of change. Um, everybody looking at the policies that allow uh, police with bad records to keep their jobs or be hired uh, despite that record. Uh, you know, I, I am bringing uh, together with my colleague, Commissioner Jordan, charter reform to the county to uh, create a citizen oversight board that would be independent and would have the ability to hear and investigate complaints that come from the community. Because even though there are many levels of review currently, they're all by people in the business. So you need to have an outside perspective uh, when you're talking about the power that law enforcement wields. So we have to have checks and balances on power. And, and that's what's taking shape now. It's encouraging to see the enthusiasm and positive response in light of the death of George Floyd. But realistically, things take time. What are we going to do to actually see change where we're not having the same conversation next year, five years, or 20 years down the line? As protests about brutality faced by Black individuals and communities continue to intensify across the nation and right here in our county, how do you propose that we not only show solidar solidarity in a meaningful way, but what actionable steps can we take to attempt to right some of these wrongs that have been ingrained in the system for hundreds of years? Well, I've called for a few things and I have a five pillar uh, plan. I mean, we have to have citizen oversight. Uh, we have to uh, look at the Obama's, uh, President Obama's uh, action plan that includes uh, reviewing all the policies, engaging the public and understanding uh, and reforming the things that need to be reformed. Uh, we have to um, do like a, um, uh, take an audit of all of the policies. So for example, I mentioned before, um, how many incidents are too many before a person loses his or her job? Uh, how many inc incidents too many before um, there are consequences? Uh, so, you know, these are things uh, that, and we have to communicate. The public, there needs to be transparency and accountability, and those are the, the, the building blocks for trust. And, you know, what they say about a reputation, that it's hard to build and easy to lose. So I was thinking about that in the context of, of the police department. I mean, there are many, many communities that naturally do not trust the police, right? Because... 
uh, because of the color of their skin and what they've been taught growing up or they've experienced. I mean, so many people coming forward, prominent people coming forward and talking about having been hauled out of cars and uh, ridiculed and, and really feared for their personal safety. Uh, or, or worse, they've actually been uh, uh, abused or killed uh, for no reason whatsoever. And, you know, those stories uh, engender a lack of trust. And here we are, you know, in other communities where we're taught the police are there to help us and we call upon them uh, in times of need. So, you know, we work so hard with community policing. Our own Miami-Dade County Police Department is very much about engagement in the community, uh, talking uh, with the community if there's been a crime, uh, trying to get people to, to, um, to trust them. Uh, and, and even though this was in Minneapolis, it just brings up those that hurt because, you know, it did happen here and it can happen here. Uh, and even though, you know, we think we have the best police force, we know that it can. And that's why there have to be checks and balances. So, you know, trust has to be rebuilt mm -hmm. and uh, through and transparency and accountability. Those are, are the building blocks. So those are things that we can get involved in uh, right away. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we can change, we can get rid of chokeholds and strangleholds right away. The county can do that right away. Mm -hmm. And we can change our hiring policies. We don't have to hire people who have a bad track record, you know, right away. Right. Uh, we can do better mental health screening of our officers right away. And I, I want to mention another thing. We had uh, yesterday a committee meeting in which uh, it was being discussed, looking at the track record of the incidents in the police department. And almost 300 people signed up to this meeting from the public virtually and over a hundred signed up to speak. It was just unprecedented. I said, this is what democracy looks like. Uh, so, you know, it was very inspiring. And so many of them talked about the lack of services for a community. They said, and it's, and I know from the community that I served so long till I was uh, in office, mm -hmm. cutbacks to, um, after-school programs, cutbacks to social work, mental health, uh, cutbacks to, um, uh, you know, mentoring programs, um, yeah. everything that is different that helps a person to grow and, and so on. Those are the programs that we have been losing at the same time as our police and jail budgets have grown. So, you know, police are not the answer to every problem. And that's what people were saying. They say, I mean, I'm a social worker and a lawyer. I'm a social worker and I thought all these people that are community activists are saying we need more social workers, you know. It was a moment in time that uh, I don't think I'll ever, ever forget. You brought up an excellent point. There's definitely a difference between how people of different races view the police. Black communities are often over-policed and over-profiled, which leads to fatalities. That's a fact. Okay, Commissioner, now I want to talk a little bit more about your platform. COVID-19 has forced us to really evaluate what is essential and what's not. Many more people are working from home. I wonder how is future infrastructure and development of office buildings, for example, going to change? Is the open space concept now going to revert back to more closed off space? I lived in Philadelphia when I went to UPenn. I lived in New York when I worked on Wall Street. Both of those cities have far more sophisticated transportation and transit systems. That's something that I hope that we can 
develop further here in South Florida. I'm also big on economic development and economic empowerment. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts in terms of how we address these issues while dealing with a pandemic? (laughs) Well, you know, I've been so busy learning about the disease of COVID and what we need to do to test, um, trace and isolate and how we can get access to what we need for food and all those other things. And now with the policing, you know, I am really eager to understand what, oh, my crystal ball over there, see it? Uh, What it's telling us about the future of the economy, of the future of the real estate market. I mean, I think we're beginning to see some really interesting things. I, I need to hear from others what they see so I can totally wrap my, my brain around it. But for example, yeah, more people are working from home and guess what? It works out pretty well, right? If we can, we know there are so many that cannot. Uh, and so many of them, by the way, are also people of color because these essential workers are so often at the lower end of the pay scale and they're coming from poorer communities. That means more likely darker communities. And uh, so they're the ones that are exposing themselves to greater health risks on our behalf. They're taking the risks for us. So let's just, you know, people still go to the grocery store, even, you know, not everybody can have their groceries delivered and, uh, you know, uh, et cetera. But um, having said that, yeah, they're saying maybe not as much commercial office space will be needed. Uh, Maybe even our county government, uh, our current county mayor, Jimenez, has really emphasized that he does not want people coming back to the office if it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel. Like, certainly until we have a cure or, um, you know, an injection that we could take. A vaccine, something. A vaccine. Why? Why not stay home if we can? It's safer for us. It's safer for others. We know we could all of us be vectors, walking, contagion machines. You know, that's why we wear our masks so we don't uh, potentially contaminate others. So uh, what does that mean for real estate costs and values? Mm -hmm. I don't know. We also have the fact that so many have been a, not been able to pay their rent or pay their mortgage. Right. So, you know, how are we navigating that? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, are we reducing prices to deal with uh, the downturn? Uh, yeah, maybe there's an uptick, but is that going to be long lasting? And will it be a full recovery? You know, what will it take? So I think these are really important questions. And then also what jobs? We right. know that uh, the economy is, is different certain jobs that were high contact, they're gone. Or ones that had to do with more disposable income, maybe they're gone. Travel industry jobs, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're a tourism-based economy. I mean, we're not opening the beach till tomorrow. Oh, no, today, the the beach opened today, excuse me. And the hotels along with it. But will we need as many hotels? Mm -hmm. Can we convert some of those hotels into perhaps housing that people could afford? No, that's an idea that I think is really worth exploring. Okay. So, you know, I think there's a lot of, look, we overbuilt luxury um, condominiums in this town. We had, we have had, we've enjoyed wonderful investment Mm -hmm. from uh, overseas and snowbirds and people are coming here because of our tax, uh, no, no property, no, no uh, income tax. So, you know, we're a tax haven, right? And that, 
has done us well from a certain perspective, uh, maybe this is our opportunity to convert to, again, more things for the people who live here because we know we are not an affordable place to live. We know that the cost of living has been astronomical and with salaries not, uh, you know, very low. So, so, you know, and as a result, you did not ask me this question, but as a result, we have seen a lot of black flight. We've seen a lot of young professionals leaving. I'm so grateful that you came back. And, you know, that's what we need. We need to create opportunities so that we can keep our talent. We want our talent. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Brain drain is a huge issue. It's a huge issue. Miami-Dade County is an outstanding place to live and work and play, as cliche as it sounds. But it's increasingly more competitive and difficult not only to retain talent here, but to recruit us back after we've moved away for college, for example, in other cities. So as we were mentioning, strengthening our economy and ensuring that we have a diversified economic mix will help make this a more attractive place to work. And it's funny, some of my friends from school joke with me and ask, do you guys just go to the beach all day? And I say, no, <laughs> we actually work very hard. Yeah. Our weather is just way better. <laughs> This part of the show is called My Fire Round. So I'm gonna ask you a series of questions and you have to blurt out the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. What was the last thing that you ordered on Amazon? Oh, oh, it was a puppet uh, stage for my granddaughter. Oh, <laughs> it was something that you could put up on a tabletop because they okay. don't have doorways and little okay. curtains and then a few little puppets. So she could have a puppet show. She's two and a half. I was gonna ask, oh, okay. And she lives in Washington DC, so I haven't seen her since February and I'm just heartbroken. So you have to so, virtual hug her. Thank you, okay. thank you, yes, okay. If you had a 100% chance of succeeding, I think I know what the answer is gonna be, but I'm gonna ask anyway. Yes, if you had a 100% chance of succeeding, what would you attempt to do? Run for mayor of Miami-Dade County, of course. But you know what? I don't know about 100%, but I do plan to win. Humble <laughs> but confident. What superpower would you want to have? I see your crystal ball. But yeah. What superpower would you want? I would really like to look in people's hearts. I would really like to. I try, but I'm not always correct. I would really like to know what really is inside people's hearts. That's very diplomatic. Yeah, I was going to say, let me read your mind. Why are you acting like this? But I guess that's synonymous. <laughs> Head in the heart, we'll put that all the same. And lastly, Commissioner, someone who's watching or listening, how can they get in contact with you and your campaign if they want to support you or contribute? Yeah, thank you, thank you. Well, I have to tell you one of the best things about this campaign is my website. Okay. It's just daniella.vote. Okay. So I just think that's the best, the coolest. So two L's and Daniela dot vote. And I'm at my personal email is Daniela at Daniela dot vote. So please get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Commissioner, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you sharing your thoughts, ideas, mm -hmm. and vision for making Miami-Dade County even better. I know that you have been out there busting your butt. It is crunch <laughs> time and I wish you the very best. 
should you be elected, you will be the very first woman mayor of Miami-Dade County. That's right, I will be the first woman mayor of Miami-Dade County, so stay tuned. History, potentially on the horizon. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Brittany. Thank you guys so much for checking out today's episode of Brit Happens. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, or Google. You can also find me online at www.brithappens.com and on social media, Instagram or Facebook at Brittany Sharpton. See you next time.